EFTM Tech Cars Lifestyle This is the EFTM Podcast with Trevor Long EFTM G'day, g'day, great to have your company and uh, great to be in your podcast app. I appreciate you downloading. I appreciate you being a, uh, a listener. It's lovely to have your company. If you ever want to interact with me via the interwebs, uh, it's very easy. Go to the website, EFTM.com, uh, and you click Ask Trev. That's me. Uh, or you can go to Twitter and abuse me there. No, don't abuse me. I'll abuse you back. Um, <laughs> go to Twitter, at Trevor Long. At EFTM is the uh, is the broader brand. And uh, on Facebook, you can find me there as well. Just search Trevor Long uh, or EFTM, whatever you like. Send messages. But I'll straight up remind you, I get a lot of messages in a lot of places, on a lot of platforms, a lot of DMs, and I lose them. I forget them. I don't know they're there. Whereas every single email that comes via the website sits in a, in a folder uh, on the website. And while I certainly can't call everyone, I can every week I download a list of all the emails and I've got the list and I go through one by one kind of looking at calls or, or interesting questions and I try and call as many people as I can in the short space of time I dedicate to the show and then we're off and running. So if you, if you really want uh, a question answered or you want to be on the show, and um, I, I suggest EFTM.com, uh, ask, click, click Ask Trev. If you also want to have a chat, um, hit me up on any other platform. But again, without being rude, um, I don't often reply to tech questions on the other platforms because that's what this show's for. Um, I have reinstituted that rule where I go, if I sat and answered every DM and everything, I, I would be a lot of hours and I don't make money out of answering DMs, whereas I can make money out of a podcast. So well, this is where the questions go. Hope you're cool with that. Hope everyone's down with it. Um, I've got a few things to get through on this show. Uh, a couple of calls, which is good. Um, we're also going to talk about a few different things. We're going to talk about YouTube and the educational aspects of YouTube. Um, I, I'm fascinated by this because it's really been an amazing evolution of YouTube, if you think about it. And I'll go into that in great detail shortly um, with a guest from YouTube, thinking about how just it used to be just this mash of, of content now you've got these verticals of you know entertainment and education and all different things so <clears throat> that to me is fascinating so that that I really look forward to you, you hearing the last interview on in the show <sighs> don't know I'm gonna leave it with you I'm gonna I'm gonna wait for your emails um and I might editorialize more broadly in the man cave i don't know if you want to join me in the man cave go to facebook.com forward slash eftm online and join our group the man cave um but i've got an interview with uh, someone who in their press release is described as a zillionaire which is a a, a a generation z person making lots of money and uh, we're going to talk about um we're going to try and talk about what he does how he made his money um and maybe it's just the old man in me speaking but i don't know just felt like I was being taken for a ride. Don't know. Couldn't really articulate what he does. Couldn't. Anyway, I'll leave that interview for you to hear. Um, and I have great respect for the individual because, hey, they're uh, they're making money and they're independent, and that's awesome. But anyway, more on that later. Uh, plus, plus your calls, uh, all of those things coming up here on the EFTM podcast. EFTM. This is the EFTM podcast. EFTM. Got a question? Anything in uh, in your world? Tech, cars, lifestyle? Uh, go to the website, eftm.com. Click on Ask Trev and I'll try and help you out. G'day, Michael. Yeah, all right. No worries. <laughs> what can I do for you, mate? Uh, yeah, look, I've got a property up in uh, Blanchetown in Riverland. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm sort of... I want I want to put a couple of cameras, like security cameras up there. Yep. But they've got to be sort of uh, semi, like, you know, there's no power in most of the uh, corners. Yep. So I need something battery with, with solar, something like that. Yep. But, you know, like, I don't know. What would you suggest? That's that's sort of uh, what I'm looking for. There's, there's probably really only two products that directly and quickly come to mind. Um, and one of them is the Netgear Arlo. One of them is the Uniden AppCam Solo. Both of them have one camera model that is 4G connected. And uh, I know, for example, the uh, Uniden 
uh, you buy it as a box and it's got the solar panel literally built into the back of the camera. Um, yeah. And you can, you know, you could, mate, you could strap it to a tree, for Christ's sake, let alone put it on a pole or a top of a building, whatever. Um, yeah. And the Arlo, I'm pretty sure Telstra was selling it and they probably still do. Um, you know, basically you've got to pay up front for a, for a camera here. Um, if it doesn't have the solar panel in a box, you can buy them as mm-hmm. an accessory, and they're excellent. Like it's just it's just a hundred percent charged forever. Then basically, and then you yeah. just need a little little data data pack on a, on a SIM card. Now, it really depends how much um, motion is going to be recorded, and how sensitive you set it as to how much data you need. But these days, man, you can get data plans so cheap. You might. It, you know, it's an investment. It's security. It might be fifty bucks a month, and you get sixty gig of data or something, and that's heaps for this thing yeah, yeah. To, to run. So, out of the box, very easy to set up and use as well. Yeah, no, I actually, I actually got one. I'm using one at um, at uh, work mm-hmm. um, with the four G. I mean, works well. The problem only is it's it's a couple of years old or two or three years old, and it's it's not really what I want. I need to. Um, the, the thing is, I bought it on eBay, and um, it's a sometimes there's a problem buying buying Chinese Mate, stuff. If, if you don't buy you know, it, if you don't buy it at JB Hi-Fi, Harvey Norman, or Officeworks, you're asking for trouble. Um, yeah. Now, obviously, you know, there are online stores in Australia, Kogan or Catch. There's some, yeah. some merit there, but I wouldn't use the marketplace, for example, because y- y- the marketplace on both Catch and Kogan is other small businesses just using Kogan or Catch as a front for their for their sales, which is great. Yeah. But I-, I want that reliability. I want that uh, warranty. I want that knowledge of walking back into the store and going, mate, this is rubbish. It doesn't work. Um, yeah. So yeah, I I personally, um, and I can I can speak for both the Uniden and the Arlo products because I've used them. And look, they are they're, they're an interesting product because really you've got to dedicate time to setting them up. You don't want too many alerts. You don't want too few alerts. You don't want too much motion recorded. You don't want too little motion recorded. You got to find that fine balance between spot, rec- spot on, yeah. recording everything and recording yeah. nothing. Yeah, um, spot on. So honestly, no. the Uniden yeah. Guardian AppCam Solo. Uh, and the other one is the uh, Netgear. Well, it's not called Netgear anymore, but the Arlo Go um, yeah. is a four G. They're both four G SIM enabled, and I reckon they'll be they'll be the solution for you, mate. Well, basically, this is the reason I sort of uh, want to ask you because I need a reliable camera and a good camera. Nothing yeah. like nothing like you know these Chinese stuff, yeah. uh, which is half of the time the the break down or they just go off a line or something yeah. like that. So. so I think you're good with that. Obviously, depending on the coverage in the in the on the property, depends which telco you use. Obviously, there's cheaper if you if you don't need to use Telstra. But mate, bottom line, it's an investment in security and safety, isn't it? So good luck with those two products, mate. Would it be too much to ask if you can uh, maybe SMS or email me the will the, get, the models maybe will, or something like that? I'll get you the links, mate. I'll get you the links. Absolutely. I appreciate it, mate. Right. Good uh, on you, buddy. Good on you. Thank Good you on very you. much. Thanks very okay. much. And yeah, no worries. If you've got a question like Michael, jump on the blower and uh, get in touch. EFTM.com. EFTM, the website, you can go there, EFTM.com, and uh, click on Ask Trev and ask me any question that's happening in your world. G'day, Roy. Hey, how are you, Trevor? Good, mate. What can I do for you? Uh, my wife's looking into buying a five- or seven-seater hybrid, and I wanted your opinion on what you think is best. Um, does she have a budget in mind? Because that's pretty limiting when you when you end up wanting to spend a lot less than is available. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's cool. Uh, we're probably spending up to about 70000 75000 okay. Well, that's kind of lucky because really, lower than that, you're talking RAV4, uh, Toyota, CHR, um, you're talking small cars. I mean, the RAV4 is an unprecedentedly brilliant hybrid and it's about a six-month wait still um, and well worth it, right? So you should drive the RAV4 because it's 30 grand and I, you know, you're going to you can save a lot of money and it's a bloody good car. But, wow. you know, in the, in the proper big-size SUV market, and I, I do think seven seats is going to be a struggle for you, but, mm-hmm. you know... Once you go to these dealers, they'll show you what they've got. But you know, when you go to Lexus, for example, they've got a massive seven-seater, but it's also really expensive. But the RX, um, yeah. which is their kind of sleek-looking model, that comes in a hybrid, probably 70-odd grand. 
But yep. honestly, the car I think you should drive is the Volvo XC60. Okay. Um, the Volvo, in fact, there's a few Volvos that are plug-in hybrids um, and different variants. Really worth looking at, man. They're, they're, a, they're a really good car. Um, Volvo, mate, they look good. They ride well. They've got great tech inside. They've got beautiful yeah. fit and finish. I, I don't know why more people don't have Volvos. I, genuinely, it's it's such a good car that it's it's almost crazy they're not selling more of them. So I'd be surprised if you weren't impressed with the Volvo. Um, but I think if you go to a Volvo dealer and a Toyota dealer slash Lexus, um, you'll walk out with a very clear picture of the market. Um, there's obviously a few other things out there like the uh, Mitsubishi Outlander, plug-in hybrid, great car, mm-hmm. um, but probably not, again, that's RAV4 size. Um, so, yeah, I, I would, I'd walk into a Volvo dealer and see what smile it puts on the wife's face to, to drive a Volvo. All right, I'll do that. Forget the stigma. Okay, don't, 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 <laughs> that's many years ago. They're just a good-looking bloody car right now. And, um, I, yeah, I, if I wasn't forced to buy something with sliding doors, might have might have looked at a Volvo myself. Okay, great. All right, buddy, good luck. Let me know what you end up with. I will. Thanks, Trevor. All right, mate. If you've got a question, doesn't matter what it's about, uh, just go to the website, eftm.com. Got a question about tech? Uh, hit me up. Go to the website, eftm.com. G'day, Lawrence. G'day, Trevor. What can I do for you, buddy? Uh, Trevor, I've got a uh, an Ultimate Ears boombox, mm. and I would like to use it as my main speaker from my TV. So I don't want to use the internal TV speakers, and I'd like to connect it up Bluetooth wirelessly. Wow. Uh, uh, wow. Uh, boom, uh, Ultimate Ears boombox as the speaker for your TV. Why? Um, because we don't have to have the TV so loud. I'm as deaf as a doornail these days. Oh, and you want it sitting over with you, near you. Yeah, and my wife can hear it in the t- kitchen when she's um, um, cooking dinner and all that sort of stuff. Right. Now, it's a very interesting. See, I'm I'm looking at your contact thinking, why on earth would you do that? You could just get a sound bar or yada, yada, yada. So it's always interesting to know the exact reason why why you'd go about it. What Do you have Bluetooth on the TV? No. Well, the the manual says it does, but I don't think it has. What sort of TV well, is it? It's a Bourne, B-A-H-N, B-A-U-H-N is from Aldi. Is it the Bourne that is, and you might not know this, but help me out, is it an Android TV? Yep. It is an Android TV. It is an Android TV. I, I reckon it would have Bluetooth. Um, I, I've the, the, checked the, the usual manual. The, well... Problem with the user manual is, I mean, Born do very good user manuals actually, so I, sh- I shouldn't really say that, but they they put a lot of effort <laughs> into that. But it's see, Android TVs normally obviously just go into the settings. So how deep into the settings have you gone? Well, I I've tried for two or three days, and <laughs> my wife as well too. She's much more techie than I am, yeah. but I'm techie useless. So basically, let's work on the assumption that you're spot on, and and there is no Bluetooth. I'm just uh, I'm just bring, I've just brought up the manual for that TV. I'm just gonna um, just gonna see whether there's anything in this menu. You pair Bluetooth devices. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it would have Bluetooth, but I think the Bluetooth might only be for the remote control. That's my thought. All right, right, right. So before we talk non-Bluetooth. Um, yep. What I want you to do is is under settings, so that's the little yep. cog icon. Yep. Um, is there's nothing for connections, and then it'll be connections, and then it'll be the same places where Wi-Fi is. It'll say connections, then Wi-Fi, then Bluetooth. If it's not there, then yeah, I guess I guess we are right up a drain pipe on that one. I'm going to keep your details. Though. I am going to send it on to the people who make the Bourne TVs in Australia. Well, they don't make them in Australia, but the Australian company yep. that imports them. And they've yep. got a great tech support team. So I'll get them to contact you directly separately to this, just in case. But what we then need is is a solution for turning your, creating a, a Bluetooth network, a Bluetooth signal out of your TV, right? So wonderful. what have you looked at? Have you, have you done any investigation in this? Well, yeah, I've, I've got a um, – I went to JB and um, got a small device for $27. It didn't last too long. And what was, what was so that went, called? What's, what sort of device? Oh, no idea. It's only, okay. It was sort of like half a matchbox size oh, okay, of, a, right. of, a, yep. of a thing, tiny thing. Then I went and got a Sennheiser audio transmitter, 
And I'm a bit concerned about plugging it in because um, the last time I used it, my TV stopped working. I don't know whether the headphone jack was not the thing to use to connect up to. Where'd you get the Sennheiser one? Uh, from JB. How much did that cost? Uh, $148. So I was going to say... $149.95. JB do have a couple of products like this. They've got another one called an XCD, which is 100 bucks. Um, it should be fine. You know, here, here's what you could do without breaking the TV. You yep. could test that on anything else with a headphone socket. So yep. I don't know what else you've got around the house, but, I mean, it could be just a radio. It could be, yep. um, frankly, a mobile yep. phone with a headphone socket because that transmitter um, obviously has a little 35 mil cable. That's what plugs into the headphone jack, yeah? And then it yep. sits there and, it, and it's also plugged into power in the wall. Yep. Yep. And I would test that on something else. I would test that on um, trying to think what else might be in the house. Yeah, 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 it could yeah, be yeah, a computer. Yeah. No, I'll put, I've got a radio, a little portable radio that's got a headphone jack in it. Plug it in. And if that works, yep. then A, you can pair up your, your UE Boom so you can get that working. And then you just plug it into the TV. I, I, I hear you, you're concerned, but it's highly unlikely that a Bluetooth transmitter is is shorting out and ruining TV. So... It's either sheer luck or coincidence that the other one broke at that time, but I guess you know the 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 risk you're running there is that that's a faulty Sennheiser unit. And mate, if that happens, put it this way: if you plug that into the TV and it breaks, I'll talk to Sennheiser on your behalf because I feel <laughs> I feel like we've I feel like we've uncovered some sort of you know device that's there to cripple TV. So. Uh, I go with the go with the the simple test and test and trial. So plug it into the radio, see if it works, and then plug it in the TV. And Bob's your uncle, and you're off and running. All right. Great. Thanks very much indeed, young man. Appreciate that greatly. Good on you, Lawrence. Thanks for getting in touch. Thank you. Bye, sir. Bye, bye, bye. If you've got a question like Lawrence, just go to the website eftm.com. Okay, I want to talk COVID safe. Okay, I want to talk about the app, COVID Safe, because I get added in or linked into or brought into additional conversations about this all the time. And there are many trains of thought on this. There's the government who just say download it because you should. And then there's Laurie Patton who just can't stop saying bad things about it. And then there's a bunch of people in the middle who just kind of like, oh, I don't know, is it working? And the fact is we've got a spike. We've got a second wave and <clears throat> no state authority has yet apparently found an additional contact using the app. Now, I have, since the start, defended the app, suggested the app is a good thing, and recommended you download it, and that has not changed. I still have the app, and every day when I think about it, I go, oh, I'm going to open the app again. I'm just going to find it here on my phone, and I'm going to tap on it, and I'm going to open it up and make sure that it's running. Because every couple of days, it kind of disappears in the background. So every couple of, every couple of days, open it up. That's all you got to do. Very simple. Now, <clears throat> a couple of things that I think are critical. There's two things I want to address. Firstly is it's not working. Second is, why don't we use the Google Apple solution, which I advocated from the very start? Is it not working? Uh, <clears throat> no, it is working. The, the app has found hundreds of contacts on people's phones, but none of those contacts have either met the criteria as a known close contact or been someone that has not already been reported as a contact. That's critical. Because when you get COVID... When you get diagnosed with COVID-19, they quickly ring and they say, right, where have you been? And they go through it, one, by one, by one. And they talk through minute by minute. And they talk to who was there. And you give your numbers. And you write it all down. And then they say, well, have you got the app? They go, yes. And then you say yes. And you press some buttons. And the app uploads information. And then they look at who's on the app. And most of the people are already listed by you because you know who you spend time with. Okay? That's why, for the most part, um, it's not discovering new contacts yet. Because most of us are not actually socializing with huge numbers of people we don't know. But it is working in the sense that the app is obtaining contacts, but it is not working in the sense that no new information has come from the app that has helped stop the spread. And that's a challenge. Now, there's another reason for that, and that is in Victoria, there's a large uh, lote population, as they are sometimes described, language other than English population. And they are most likely part of the percentage that have not downloaded the app because they, they haven't seen the messaging on it in their own language. This is why SBS is so critical. I don't want to break it to you. They communicate in the languages of their audience um, these messages. Now, that's another reason. 
So should we have had a contact by now? I would have hoped yes, especially in Melbourne, where it's been pretty outrageous, the number of contacts. But I also wonder whether or not they are simply overwhelmed in Melbourne. I also wonder whether or not the local state health authorities are deprioritizing the use of the app. They just don't really care to bother with it because they're going through the manual process. And remember, like in New South Wales at the crossroads, another part of that is there's a, there's a list of people who went there, name and number. It's written on a list. So those contacts the app might have found were already on those lists. Okay? Now, the second part of their question is, should it work better? Should it be a better app at contact tracing? It could be better. It could be better. Its Bluetooth could be better performing. So should we use the Apple Google model? Now, I originally said absolutely go all in. But the problem is we're now months in and we have the app on hundreds, millions of phones. And if we were to introduce the Apple Google model, it would completely change the app. And it would only work on people with iOS 13.5 and up. And Android, don't even get me started on compatibility. That may mean that only 15 to 30% of the 6 million can use the new features of the app. So that's a big problem. The current app supports 90% of the market. You can't move to a thing that doesn't support 90% or more of the market. That's a critical thing. But leaving aside compatibility, there's a big fundamental difference in the way the Apple-Google framework works. And this really goes to the global way of operating as opposed to Australia's very robust approach. In Australia, you get COVID, uh, you're asked who you've been with, and they spend a lot of time working through it with you. What it's happening elsewhere is they don't have that that ability. They don't have that staffing. So, yeah, mainly because of the numbers. So what happens is that the apps and the phones talk to each other anonymously and they communicate. And if I get tested positive, I, I, my health authority gives me a code and I press it into the app and it immediately, you know what it does? It doesn't send the health authorities the numbers and names. It sends an anonymous alert to all the people that were close contacts. And they all get a message going, you have been exposed. You have potentially been exposed to, to COVID-19. Um, you should seek medical attention and get tested. Now, that would, A, freak the hell people out. B, it would open up scammers who would send those messages via text message. I'm telling you, it would happen. And C, health authorities have no idea who just got the message. So if I test positive and there's 200 contacts in my phone and 200 people get a message saying get tested and 190 of them get tested the next day, what about the other 10? They're rogue. They're going, oh, that's bullshit. I'm not going to do it. doesn't matter. It's all good. And they don't get tested. So they're out there potentially infected, asymptomatic, and the app does nothing. Because right now it's a manual process. It just downloads a list. That list at the pub, your phone has that list built into it. That's why the Google Apple solution isn't perfect. And that's why if the government had their way, Google and Apple would release the Bluetooth portion of the app to them to use to improve the Bluetooth performance to make it not have to be need rebooting every day or two, but they wouldn't require them to use the Bluetooth, uh, sorry, the exposure notification framework. That's the problem. That's the challenge. And the two can't work together because we can't have people walking around who are ignoring the alerts. We've got enough idiots walking around ignoring the government right now we don't want them ignoring their app. So hopefully that helps you understand a little bit better than a quick Twitter war can. My view on the app. And yeah, I'm disappointed that it hasn't resulted in a contact yet, but I'm also not unhappy with the amount of amazing work that health officials are doing manually contract tracing. This was simply a tool to support that. So we just need to remember that and kind of not be so bloody negative. That's the biggest problem with society today. It's so friggin' negative. Okay, let's all be positive for a bit here. We are getting, even with Victoria and New South Wales cases combined, that's as many cases in a day as the United States have in about seven minutes. I did the calculation earlier today. So, bit of reality check, folks. California had 6,000 cases yesterday. We had 300 or less. Let's just all relax, but let's follow the instructions. Let's stop the spread and let's get this thing sorted out. EFTM.com, place to go if you've got a question about uh, anything going on in your world. Uh, hit us up. G'day, Gerald. Yeah, good Good morning, Trevor. What can I do um, for you, I'm, try um, I'm trying to upgrade my Deezer subscription from premium to uh, to hi-fi. Right. And um, if you um, log on, if I log on to my 
Deezer account and um, try and upgrade. Um, it, uh, what they're offering is a um, a thirty day free trial um, for 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 the upgrade, and then you subscribe. But um, it seems that that option is not available in Australia for whatever reason. But that's not an issue. I just want to upgrade from premium to to to, to uh, hi-fi, and um, it must be available because I know that um, um, what hi-fi reviewed it, and also um, another. Uh, I think yeah, the, the Australian um, tech magazine oh. also reviewed reviewed the the hi-fi. So they could only have done that if they were able to download it. So so that's my issue. I want to try and upgrade to um, hi-fi, but I, I can't find out how to do it. I think the problem here, and I and I'm happy to stand corrected, but you know what hi-fi, for example, um, and it could well be that. Um, the website that you read, you know, Tech Life or whatever it might be, um, they may source content from overseas. Because often, this is one of the biggest challenges with technology. It's global, right? And so yes. you know, I get this all the time. I, I do a video for YouTube and I'm talking about a product and I go, it's, you know, it's $299. And 90% of the comments are, mate, it's not $299, it's 99 And I'm like, that's in America, <laughs> okay? This is Australia. It's a global thing. So I think the problem is it may well be a great solution but i understand that deezer kind of left the australian market um they had an aussie office they had set up here and everything but they abandoned the aussie market because wow way too dominant by uh, spotify and apple and i just don't think there's any way for them to make money and it could be my my guess is that the hi-fi solution so what we're talking about here for people that don't know is it's basically a higher quality of audio um the hi-fi solution actually requires um better servers and equipment at their end as well, which they would populate around the world, they may not have invested in that here in Australia. So it's quite possible that Deezer Hi-Fi is physically not available in Australia. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's certainly the the impression that I'm getting. It's a, it's a bit of a pity because um, it's, well, you know, all my music is with Deezer, so I don't want to, you know, change to, to somebody else and then have to start all over again. When, so. you, when you say all your music, you mean like playlists and things like that? Or? Yeah, well, yeah, all my playlists and that are, you know, are, you know, provided by Deezer, which, you know, through my subscription. So yeah. um, I don't want to, you know, if I switch to, to another codec or whatever you call it, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to lose or I'll have to start again to, to get those, uh, to get that music, you know, well, where, where I want it. Um, I just want to, I mean, there's a couple of things here. Um, uh, Tidal would be the other service I think you should look at because um, Tidal is like the original high-quality, lossless music format. And the reason, here's here's what I want you to do. I want you to try it because there are, for nearly all music services, but not all, but I can already find on Google, there are solutions for Deezer to Tidal. There are websites you can go to that will import your playlists and favourites. All so right, okay. What happens is you 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 go, you kind of open the app, and then you you can. There's a bunch of instructions online that talk you through how to transfer your favourites and your playlists and things like that, where possible, because some songs might not exist or whatever. But yeah, you, you'll yeah. find there are ways of switching. Uh, and and I I would be surprised if Tidal, because it's the kind of smallest of them all, if Tidal wasn't one that was very much open to trying to trying to move people over. Um, so my 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 recommendation would be just give Tidal a go for a month. Yeah. Just do their free trial, and see if during that month you can work out how to transfer. Because it's it's really just a matter of essentially searching for transfer. Um, Deezer to Tidal playlists or right, migrate okay. Deezer to Tidal and you'll find solutions, I'm sure. Yeah, because um, in that um, Tech Life magazine, they did review about half a dozen um, uh, um, options yeah. and one of them was one of them was Tidal. Mm. And I, I think they said that Tidal may not have the extent of music available that some of the others do. I can't remember now off the top of my head. but And I do think that is one of Tidal's problems is they've gone for this high-fidelity, lossless sound and therefore they might not get all the library with that quality. So, yes. you know, your trade-off is you can go to Spotify and they've got everything. You can go to Apple Music, they've got everything. But yeah, they don't have lossless yeah. yet. So, yeah, that's that's the real challenge. 
Yeah, because well, at least I guess with these are on their on their premium. At, at least it's three hundred and twenty kilobits or megabits, or whatever the hell you call it, um, as opposed to I think Apple is only two hundred and fifty. So, Spot, you should try Spotify because I think they go up to three twenty as well. Um, uh-huh. So you know, as a man of clear audio tastes, because see, I wouldn't notice it between ninety six and three twenty. Personally, I'm str- I struggle. But yeah. you, I think you should have a listen to the high quality Spotify, and and then decide whether or not you know the the breadth of library there might actually be yeah. the the, the yeah. end rate solution. Yeah. So so what is what is Spotify's high quality? Three twenty. Oh, it is three twenty. Okay. Mm. Yeah. You've, yeah. Got, you've yeah. got to go into the app and choose that. <laughs> they don't, they yes. don't do it oh, by yeah. default because yeah. it costs their money, but because uh, <laughs> they're pumping out more data. But it would be worth having a listen uh, to the to yeah. the high quality Spotify. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll try and compare Spotify with Deezer and see yeah. whether there's, you know, an audible difference, which which my ageing ears can can determine. Perhaps. I would, I'd love to know how you go, Gerald. So you let me know, all right? Yeah, yeah, good, good. good on, yeah. Thanks, good on you, mate. Thanks for the thanks for the call, Trevor. My pleasure. And if you've got a question like Gerald, just go to the website eftm.com. EFTM. This is the EFTM podcast. EFTM podcast. Look, I don't have the stats. But there's a lot of videos on YouTube, okay? And there's a lot of videos added every minute. Now, the good news, I think, about YouTube is, um, you know, when I think back at YouTube, I think Evolution of Dance. That's the YouTube video that sticks out in my head as the one we ran around the office showing everyone. It was that moment when I kind of realized that video had changed forever, essentially. But there was also that time when just everything was on YouTube, lots of people on YouTube. And I feel like now... I'm, and with the greatest respect to the people at YouTube, the rubbish content has moved to silly platforms like TikTok. And the and YouTube has become a platform for quality content, um, not just from creators, but, you know, from brands, uh, from educators, from a whole range of places. And now I feel like it's a place where, frankly, my kids spend most of their time. And I think it's a fascinating to look at the evolution of YouTube in that sense. And I wanted to talk today about learning and how YouTube is influencing a whole range of things about how we can learn things and and grow our knowledge base. So to talk about that, Don Anderson, Head of Family and Learning Partnerships at uh, YouTube, is on the line. G'day, Don. Hey, how you doing, Trevor? Good to be here. Yeah, real good, mate. It, it is fascinating to think about YouTube, you know, then and now, and, and how, not just how much more professional it is, but how the evolution has led us to a point where YouTube is a platform now for video content of, a vast array of, of styles and learning is a big part of that. It really is. There's been a big, big shift. You're right. You talked about it right at the top, uh, how things have now moved into this high quality content area. Um, we see that particularly happening, of course, in cross learning and, and content for all, all demographics really. Um, and it, it's exciting. I mean, Australians are very prolific when it comes to the content that we're seeing on YouTube relating to information uh, um, and learning. So we're excited to see where, where we're going from here. How, how do you define learning? Because uh, my, my initial thought when I had this conversation with, with the people at YouTube was, was the how-to style learning. You know, I, 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 I YouTube things from, you know, how to, how to do simple DIY stuff to how, to how to, you know, redo technology things. But Learning is a much more deeper thing than that. You know, you can literally sit in front of essentially a class on YouTube now. Well, you can, and we have some amazing creators in Australia that are demonstrating that. Um, Eddie Wu, who's out of Cherrybrook yep. Technology High School, he's a maths teacher, and he's he's a legend, I think, in the space uh, there too as well. And he's about to hit a million subscribers, which is very exciting. Um, but he's you know he's obviously using the platform to not just educate his own. Um, you know, his own students and yeah. beyond, but he's also educating other teachers on how to use the platform. Mm. And he recently launched a, a new series, three three videos that uh, that really teach those teachers how to obviously leverage the platform, how to pick up a camera, how to, you know, record all of that. So they can then take their content outside the classroom to, to a wider audience. But he's just one example. There's so many others yeah. too along that, along that ring. Is, is it always a, a, a public-facing offering that people make, or are you aware of, and I don't know how this, how this works in terms of what you can physically see, but are you aware of things that are being uh, published on YouTube but not placed in the public search, if you like? So I think of that as an unlisted video, and people that haven't posted to YouTube might not realise, I can post a video. I put a video up on the weekend, my kids doing a recycling video. Um, it's not available for anyone to watch unless I send them the link. 
um, because it's for a competition. Is that another way of, of, of engaging directly with audiences, with, uh, with classes, by actually not needing the, the public publishing, but actually using a more private approach for some types of learning, perhaps? There, yeah, you can certainly look at that as an option. I mean, I think the ones that have the most success are those who are going Go public, public. Uh, with their content. So, you know, certainly, again, and and you said it earlier. It's not just academic or some you know content that is 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 blooming on the platform. You've got creators across Australia that are exploring areas of of, of enrichment and hobbies. Um, I like self sufficient me. You got to check check that out. Yeah. Yeah. He's close. He's heading close to. 900,000 subs, and it's all about agriculture and gardening, right? So it's those types of areas of sharing that we're seeing that are really all obviously blossoming and really and taking hold of that market. And what, market. Are, what, what does YouTube do to grow this area? How do you get behind creators? And, and how do you even find the, the creators to get behind? Is it based on watching you know, the growth of a channel? So, for example, I mean, Bounce Patrol. That they look to me like a high five, wiggles, mashup. Um, you know, sixteen million subscribers of a bunch of people singing kids songs. This is a a, a completely new way of delivering kids content. Yeah, they're epic. I have to say, I have to give kudos, big kudos to Shannon Jones who runs uh, Bounce Patrol and the team there. They've been one of our long-serving partners. Uh, you know, they're fantastic. 16 million subs. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's just unreal. And they're international, right? They've really built up a huge base of fans, not just locally, but globally. Uh, real, quite the phenomenon. But how do we discover them? You know, it's come through. Obviously, we're all sitting in front of our computers consuming a considerable amount of content ourselves on YouTube. So we, we have a team that are really obviously very vested in this space to be able to do discovery. We have great platforms, uh, or our platforms are very, great, uh, very, very useful in terms of using data analytics to be able to discover those trends mm. and seeing more things. But then with Bounce Patrol, um, again, like I said, we've been working with them for quite some time. We do workshops and events. We've created, obviously, destinations on our platforms, too, to be able to bring together the creator's content. So there's a lot of different techniques that we take or apply to be able to, uh, to really amplify and discover new content. And is professionalism the key these days? Uh, obviously, standing out is critical. Um, you know, uh, a more professionally produced video will have more traction, I guess, than than something that's that's quite simplistic. Is, has it become a point where it does need to have that edge um, for it to be engaging and grow an audience? I, you know, the element of credibility, right, yeah. is and trust. I think that's critical. And you know, we can too look at two different areas here too as well. So when we look at learning. Um, the likes of Eddie Wu, certainly he has the credentials behind that too as well. But if you look at some of other creators who may not necessarily be teachers per se in the in the true traditional sense, like Emma from Um English, um, she's she does she's got a really popular channel too as well. And again, serves just not locally but globally. But she does high quality, well produced content that travels and, and it, it 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 you know you look at her numbers. I mean, three two point what three points over three million subscribers, right? So what does that say? She's certainly hitting the mark, I would say, in terms of attracting audiences and, and gain, gaining and building that trust. When it comes to kids' content, same deal. I mean, that's Bounce Patrol, right? They do high-quality, well-produced content, and it really shows in terms of the results. So I think there's going to be more of that leaning. It's, you know, we're, what, 10 years into this business and beyond. It's gonna, you're going to see more of this in terms of higher-quality com- content come to the fore on the platform. We are today. How how quickly are people overnight success? I mean, I look at M Triple M English as as it was written, uh, but Emma English. Um, you know, she's got as you said, three point two four million subscribers, one hundred seventeen million views of her content. Um, this doesn't happen overnight. I think that's probably one of the challenges for people is that they they deem success to be based on you know those first few videos when this stuff takes time, really, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's a commitment, right? I mean, if you're, uh, Emma's made this into a business herself, as has Andrew from Blender Guru, uh, you know, they're, he's in a 3D design and such. They, they've really made this as like, okay, it's oftentimes they'll start out as kind of like, I'm going to test the waters, a bit of a hobby orientation. I want to be able to share my knowledge and experience. And then it becomes something, something more because as soon as I connect with an audience, it's like, Hey, I've got a fan, but I got people I can really connect with. 
and I'm going to start looking at how and, and, and testing different approaches in terms of delivery. Andrew made a, a brilliant presentation last year at our first Australia Learning Day, um, where we brought together, I think, 60, 60 some odd uh, creators and partners and universities to talk about the future of learning on YouTube. And it was just awesome, the energy and, and, and the feedback. But he told this great story of how he tried different ways of um, of expressing, kind of connecting with audiences. Mm. And he was really very straightforward in terms of the mistakes <laughs> and the tests that he made. It was just really authentic. That's the key, is authenticity. And, and I um, think parents... You're only human, touch button. Parents should be less afraid of YouTube. Uh, look, the, the strategy in my home is, is really quite simple. Um, the kids are allowed to watch uh, YouTube when we're around. Um, and originally there was basically two channels we let them watch and then slowly they explored and found new things from mates and, you know, we, I watched them with them and, and, you know, say this channel's yours. Go for it. Watch as much as you want because it's fascinating to me that my kids could stumble across Mark Rober who uh, is, is a, an, uh, an American YouTuber who just knows his science, and it's fascinating to see them learning from him. And we've, we've watched him as a family. And now when you look at some Aussie, the Tibbies and people like that who do similar things, it's essentially kids sitting in front of a TV or a computer watching videos. They just think it's YouTube, but actually there is learning there. And I think that's the challenge for parents is to really grasp that it's okay to have your kids watching YouTube if you're if you're moderating the content they're watching in this sense. Oh yes, absolutely. I think it's, I'm a parent. I'm a dad. I've got two little boys. Uh, my wife and I are very digitally oriented uh, around this space. But I, I, I'm fascinated watching my eldest uh, is 10 years old. Just how he, you know, moves around this space and what he's looking for. My seven year old. He sits in the room with me working from home and he'll look for drawing videos like teaching himself art through the videos. It's, yeah. it's the practice that we have to have a little more trust. I think parents have to come up a little more on this uh, space Spot on. Um, and just, you know, yeah, you know, it's in that, and we're, tr we're doing our best there to help. We launched um, just some information that we, you know, we put out there that earlier this year, uh, we launched a learn at home destination and it was really to address um, and provide resources for families who obviously are affected by COVID too. Yeah. So there's a lot more resources and education that we're doing too as well with families and particularly parents. And I think that's a great um, segue to the Learn at Home. I was going to mention the learnathome.withyoutube.com. You know, there's a whole bunch of resources there categorized by arts and STEM and different things where as a parent, I find this to be a great website just to scroll through, come up with ideas of new things to suggest to my kids. Because frankly, my kids will happily watch pretty much anything. And what I do is I go, you know what, that's with the greatest respect of the Norris Nuts. That's enough Norris Nuts for today. Let's move on to, you know, this thing over here. And so if you can, if you can see those things and, and push your kids to that content, they'll think you're cool because you're the mum or dad that suggested another YouTube video, but you're actually feeding them education. And there's so much out there um, that YouTube can offer. And I think that's, you're right, it's kind of this challenge we need to push the non-digital parents um, to, to help their kids understand what content they can and should be watching online. Totally. You know, Trevor, you said it. It's kind of the, um, there's a trust element here, right? Yeah. Parents, um, I think, getting more acquainted, and they can form bigger and better bonds with their children through these things that their children are interested in. You know how we go to movies, we have that co-viewing experience. It's that co-interactivity experience now that digital is providing. If it, I find that with my children, it's a relatable experience, right? Um, we are learning together. And these are a lot of the resources we're putting out there trying to reinforce that, of course. But it really takes that effort from the parent. The parent's got to get involved. Yep. It's, uh, it's not a hands-off activity uh, parenting. It's a hands-on activity. Uh, and you can utilize YouTube uh, as a tool to, to help you and your kids uh, create, learn. Um, my kids have learned origami. Who would have ever thought? Um, that's the fun of YouTube. Um, it doesn't have to just be silly videos and, and watching uh, kids play Minecraft, uh, which I don't mind my kids doing, but I like them watching a bit of science and, and education at the same time. So fascinating stuff, uh, Don. Really great to hear from you and, and great to get those insights and encourage everyone to embrace YouTube as a learning platform as a parent. Thank you very much again, Trevor, for the time. Really appreciate it. You're listening to the EFTM Podcast. EFTM.
EFTM.com, the place to go. If you've got a question about technology, any question that's happening, uh, jump on the blower. G'day, Mark. Hi, Trevor. How are you? Yeah, real good. What can I do for you, mate? Um, Trevor, I've got an old SE iPhone, mm-hmm. and, um, and it's, I'm comfortable with it. It fits in my pocket, Yep. and I'm a farmer, and it gets knocked around a bit, but yep. I'm looking at getting an iPhone with a bigger screen because um, my eyes aren't as good as what they used to be. So I was thinking of – my friend's got a, an XR, I think it is, a 10R. Yep. Sure. Uh, but And I didn't want to pay a fortune for them. Yeah. Um, so I'm just wondering your opinion on what I should do. I know there's a new SE as well. There is a new SE. I'm using it. I, do you know what? I've been using it for, for a couple of months. I love it uh, because I'm like you. I like a smaller phone, but I did want a slightly upgrade, you know. So – Yeah, um, yeah. Look, there's a couple of things. Uh, I, I, I'm with you, mate. I think the the XR, the 10R, is a is a great phone, uh, but right. it's a thousand bucks still, right? So you're still going to pay a thousand and forty nine dollars. So yes. because you, you just you know what you need, then that's that for a brand new iPhone. Yeah, just the 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 10R is going to give you that bigger screen. It's going to take a little bit of getting used to because it's it's the one without the home button and stuff. But but I think you'll you'll get you'll be okay. You're right. You'll get used to it. Don't right. worry. Yes. But I yes. just want to give you one other option now. Yes. That is a refurbished phone. Right. So what a refurbished phone is is the idea that you know a lot of people mate they upgrade every year, and they take their old phone and they they send it to to upgrade through a, a telco or wherever it might be, and those phones all get. What happens is there's a company that wipes them clean, washes them down, um, uh, forensically cleans them on the inside, gets rid of all the data, checks they're not stolen or anything, and then yes. they put them up for sale. Now, oh, okay. the thing mm-hmm. is, like, they don't come in an Apple iPhone box, but they come in a little white box, and yes. they they are an excellent phone, and y- you save money. So you could buy, for example, a 10s, which is an even better phone, for $200 less. Like it, oh, okay. it's it's, yeah. it's quite cheap to get a refurbished phone. So if I'm I'm on the Boost Mobile website right now, Boost Mobile sell these phones uh, directly. Uh, yes. You can get an iPhone 8, for example, which has still got the home button, but it's a yes. bigger screen, $449. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So you might, maybe that's that middle ground for you. All right. but okay. Now, yeah. Obviously, with a brand new iPhone 10R from Apple or wherever you get it, you've got the full warranty and all those things, but you still, yes. you've got to pay that thousand bucks. So it's really just that balancing act for you um, between, you know, which whether you go refurbished, but I genuinely yes. think refurbished is a good option, um, okay. or whether you want to just have the security and simplicity of a brand new phone. And mate, with your what, what you're doing with it, just make sure that the day you buy it, you buy a brand new case for it so that yeah. it's, it's wrapped up like a glove for life and, and it'll yep. be looked after well. Yeah, no, that's, that thanks, uh, Trevor. That's something I hadn't thought of, a refurbished one. I'll, yeah. I'll get on and, and have a look. Have a yeah. look. All right, mate. Good right. luck and thanks, happy thanks. shopping. Thanks, Trevor. Ta. Bye. Cheers, mate. And uh, Mark's uh, helping the neighbours with their toilet, he told me, before we, we hit record. And uh, I'll let him get back to that. Uh, if you've got a question, uh, just go to the website, eftm.com. EFGM.com, the place to go if you've got a tech question or a tech problem, whatever it might be. Uh, get in touch. G'day, Danny. G'day, Trevor. How are you, mate? Yeah, real good, mate. You out on the open road? I am. I am out on the road. Very good. Very good. What can I do for you, mate? Mate, I'm, uh, we've got a big house. Not a big house, but a oh, single-story house. Way it's to quite gloat. <laughs> it's old. Wow, it's old. It's old. And it's, had, it's been extended. It's done everything, mate. We've, we've been there for, for a while. but. Yep. With the kids and with the rooms and all that sort of stuff, we've got a Wi-Fi that's up the front, and we're trying to get it, uh, get the Wi-Fi to work down the back, and we just have all these issues about uh, it goes in and out, and nothing happens, and we kick the kids out, and make yeah. the gus out, and all that happens all the time. How many, so how many kids, mate? Pre- i got two, mate. And um, what sort of device numbers are we talking about? Have you only got, like, your normal devices, your tablets, your phones, or do you have a lot of smart home things as well? We've got smart home things, we've got tablets, we've got iPads, we've got phones, we've got laptops, we've got everything. Right. Well, what you need uh, is a mesh Wi-Fi system. Um, yep. It's an investment. Let me put it to you that way. Um, 
in your network. So you've got great NBN coming into your home and you've got great devices, but the link between them is horrible. So a mesh a mesh network, so I use the Orbi, um, Netgear Orbi. You can get them at JB Hi-Fi. They basically one device plugs into your existing modem and yep. it, it becomes your new Wi-Fi network. But then you put another device, exactly the same looking, yeah, but, you know, a third of the way or a mi- middle of the home, and they communicate with each other and then they create this dome of Wi-Fi over your whole home. And All right. you'll end up with pretty much the full speed everywhere. And the thing about it is, <clears throat> if you have, if your home is that long that you need even more range, you just get an extra satellite. So what they are is they're, they're called a mesh system. There's a, there's a router and a satellite. And the satellites, you can add as many as you want. But in, a, in any normal home, I've never seen someone need more than three. Okay? Right, okay. It'd have to be yep. a mansion for you to want more than three. So in any standard home, I think three is a good number, but with the most powerful Orbi, which is also, let me be very clear, it's a you know, $600 item. Um, sure. It's, it's, mate, it'll change your world. I almost guarantee it will change your world. There is, I should say, and I've just had an interview with Netgear about this, there is a new one coming out um, in about a month, month and a half, which is $1,400 which is genuinely future-proofing because it will allow for lots of devices more than you have today. But it may be either not you can't wait that long or B, that might be too much for you to pay. But yep. if you're willing to spend the 600 that's an immediate change and it'll it'll change your world, trust me. Well, it sounds good, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's where I'll have to pay 600 bucks just to keep the kids quiet and the wife. But bloody oath. So, it, right. mate, walk into JB Hi-Fi, and it's, the great thing is it's really easy to set up too. Just uses an app, a couple of buttons, click it away, and you can – the good. what I do, what I would recommend is create a brand-new network name, right? So it's, you know, yep. our house. And every device then has to slowly be reconnected so that you're, you're genuinely connect them all to that network and disable yep. the Wi-Fi on your current modem. Disable yep. the Wi-Fi on the, on the modem that comes from your telco so that everything's on the new network – and here's the greatest thing ever, that network lives forever because you can put a different modem behind it, you can put different internet behind it, you don't have to change your Wi-Fi network ever again, it's 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 yours. Right, sounds great. All right, mate, Netgear Orby is the one. All right, mate, got right, it written down. Good one, Thanks enjoy. Have a good day, mate. Cheers, mate. Thanks very much. And if you've got a question, um, as Danny did, just get in touch. Go to the website. He actually emailed literally while I was recording. So there's almost real-time talk back there. <laughs> uh, good on you, Danny. And you can get in touch. EFTM.com. EFTM. This is the EFTM Podcast. EFTM Podcast. I get a lot of emails uh, pitching me ideas and people to speak to. And the reason this one stood out to me was because of the term zillionaires. Um, I thought I thought for a moment we had teenage zillionaires, but no, we're talking about Generation Z and how they are ripping up the business world uh, because they're pretty much in touch with the uh, the society that we have today more than any of us could possibly imagine. Uh, I'm talking about a couple of young chaps from Melbourne, Photius and Alan, and uh, Photius Suklas joins me on the line right now. G'day, Photius. Hi, how are you, mate? Listen, I mean, if if the if the claims are to be true, you're you're doing very well. Let's just put it that way, as Jerry Seinfeld would say. You're a you're a young entrepreneur. When you, I guess, go to a, a dinner party or a party or wherever it is, and someone says, "What do you do?" How do you answer that question? Um, I, I tend I tend to answer it like just a few things. Like I don't I don't I don't I don't really go into it because when you go into it, people just ask too many questions, and usually I can't be bothered talking about it. Um. I talk about it enough during the week, so at a party, I kind of just want to be as normal as possible. So, uh, okay, the other one then is when you, if you, uh, if we're allowed to fly ever again, and you fly back into the country, they they write um, uh, occupation. What, what do you write there? Entrepreneur? I'd probably write that, yeah. So what is your main business? Uh, because, or self-employed you know, or something like that. Self-employed is a good way of describing it. What is your main business? What's the, what's the one thing that drives, uh, I guess, most of your time, let alone revenue? Yeah, it's mainly our marketing company um, because everything we do, um, everything we do requires marketing. Uh, whether it's you know an applic- an application on the app store, or whether it's a nightclub, or whether it's um, you know a variety of other things that we're starting now, everything to work in business, I believe, requires marketing. And you know we've we've put most of our efforts into into developing 
good marketing products um, and and smart marketing systems to our team. Um, so not only can we market our products, we can also market our clients. And through that, we've developed software, um, which is used now by close to 14,000 people worldwide. We've got 4,000 uh, over 4,000 active subscription uh, subscriptions. I haven't checked the exact number, but it's uh, about 4,100 something now. Um, so yeah, that that's generating um, six figures every single month, which is which is pretty cool, and it's our main cash flow, I guess, uh, which funds a lot of other ventures that we have, and and also fuels a lot of other ventures that we have, in the sense that it provides it provides them with marketing with the marketing they require yeah. and, and um, to be nurtured. Take me back to the start. What was your what was your first big thing? What was the, the app you developed or the thing that you did that made you realize that you could make money out of um, the things you love mucking around with and, frankly, didn't have to go and do a tradies apprenticeship? The, 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 first, the first thing that, like, properly made made me a lot of money was when I was 16 developing and selling um, over 100 mobile apps. Um, so I developed my first app at 15 years old. Um, I learned how to build apps over the summer holidays. Mm. Um, and I developed an app. I spent about eight months on the app and, and ended up making $2.37 or something in, in advertising revenue. <laughs> so it made absolutely nothing. And, and I thought I was going to be, I thought I was going to be an app, like, like you said, an app zillionaire from it. But I ended up making, you know, not even a enough to buy a happy meal. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and 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 then I had this realization that, you know, like I said earlier, every single app, whether it's an app or a website, requires nurturing, marketing, requires a lot of effort if you want to make it work. It, it's not just you put an app on the app store, you put a website on the web, and it just explodes randomly. Like most people think, it never is random. It's never. It's never like Tats Lotto where you just win and it just goes crazy and everyone wants it. it, it you create the trends. Um, so what I realized was that the money was more so in selling apps to, to people around the world because people were willing to pay a premium for a mobile app, mm. um, especially at that time when it was a lot harder to enter the industry. So, you know, um, what I did is I partnered with, with a guy in America that actually knew how to market and and sell, how to market apps. Hmm. So he knew how to make apps hit the top charts. So what I got him to do was actually create a a course, um, a video course, and he would he would actually every single person that would buy one of my apps, he would actually sit with them one on one and teach them how to make that app hit the top charts if they had the capital to right. do it. Okay. I didn't have the capital to do it, so I didn't know. So. Um, so I could I couldn't do it even if I wanted to. Um, How much money are we talking? If you if you build if you think you've got the greatest game or app or style whatever it is, well, what sort of capital does someone need to take an app to the point where they're having some reasonable success with user interaction, user base, and those kind of things? Well, like my my partners for TikToks.com right now, um, they built a game called Color Switch. Um, they made a hundred million dollars in twenty four months, mainly profit, yeah. um, and they're they're my business partners for then one of the next projects I'm launching. Um, but from the apps business, I sold over a hundred apps and we did um, over half a million dollars in revenue before I was um, 18. So that was my first, I guess, taste for money. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was my first. Yeah, that was, that, that was, it was, it was an interesting experience, but it was, it was a heavy grind. Um, it wasn't like it is now where we create subscription models and stuff like that and software. It was really, really grind work. Like I'd have to be there grunting out apps 16 hours a day, um, even during class. I was just creating mobile apps all the time, um, just trying to sell as many as possible. Um, and yeah, it was it, it was a really, really tough time. What does um, your, your family think of all that? You know, you're you're under 18. You're you're starting to make more money than probably most of your family. What do they think about it? And how much guidance do they give you into? stopping, uh, smelling the roses, perhaps making sure that you don't blow the money? Yeah, I mean, at the time I was making around $1,000 a week, but because I did it for a few years, it ended up it ended up doing pretty well. Um, and this is $1,000 a week profit, so not revenue profit. Um, after, obviously, expenses of, of marketing and, and um, you know, building the course, flipper fees, all of the stuff I was paying, um, designs for the apps, um, so I wasn't, I wasn't, I still wasn't making too much, but I mean, $52,000 a year at 16 was pretty cool at yeah. 17. 
Um, so, you know, I, I had I, I had a fair bit of money before I was 18. Um, and I didn't blow a single dollar, actually, believe it or not. Um, I saved every single every single dollar I made. Um, and the reason for that was when I was 13, 14, I was selling things on eBay, like mobile phones and, and gaming codes and stuff mm. like that. And I was just blowing everything. Um, every time I went to, I'd just go to Westfield and just buy clothes, and which I ended up actually outgrowing. Um, so, um, yeah, I learned my lesson at that age, not to spend, not to spend your money like stupidly. Um, now I spend a lot more because we're making a lot more. So it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't matter too much as like I can invest in myself now. Um, because now I see it more so as an investment, like looking good and, and being, um, and being clean and, um, having nice things. It it helps you, it helps you in meetings and it gives you credibility in your own way. So, um, but even even when I spend now, it's more so an investment. Like I'll I'll spend money on on a restaurant or something to strengthen a relationship with either my girlfriend or a client or my, a partner, or, you know, or I'll um, you know I'll buy clothes to look better. So I, I've n- I've never really been someone that spends stupidly. <laughs> well, that's a credit to you, uh, frankly, and, prob- yep. and probably to your family. Tell me about yep. the the next big thing, TikToks. I mean. Jesus, it's been in the news for the last couple of weeks in, in a good and bad way, uh, and it has yep. had a massive rise. What, what do you see happening with TikTok going forward? You're obviously trying to capitalise on it with a domain, TikToks.com. You're, you're trying to, I guess, help people find their, their way through the TikTok bubble. What, what do you see? How do you see it playing out in terms of the global social media race? Yeah, um, I mean, personally, I'm not, I'm not too phased of whether it, whether it goes down or not. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of speculation in the media or about whether TikTok's, TikTok is going to get banned. Um, I personally don't think it will. Um, reason being, you know, we've got an American team. Um, I don't, and I don't really, I don't actually believe that the app is feeding data to the Chinese government. I really don't. I think this, there's a political agenda behind it. That's, that's all to be resolved. I think, um, you know, so you and think I, it'll I stick that. around. You think, uh, do you think it can overtake Instagram in terms of, Global social media status. I think it can in terms of status, but I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's going to overtake Instagram in the sense that it's going to replace Instagram. Instagram right. still needs to stay there. It still needs to stay relevant because it, it's a different offering. So TikTok is more so an entertainment offering, whereas Instagram's more so a personal brand offering, okay. where yep. you can you know in- interact with your family, your friends. They can see what you're doing in your life. TikTok is more so you just make stuff to entertain people. So it's it's TikTok. You could compare more so to YouTube than you could to Instagram, which is I think where a lot of people confuse it. Um, but we yeah, we bought the domain TikToks.com, which is valued at hundreds of thousands of dollars now. Um, it was actually valued at one hundred forty five thousand US a few months ago, probably even more now. Um, if I had it revalued, um, and we were even made offers for it, so it was that was pretty cool. But we decided not to sell it, um, and I think. I think we're about a week or two away. We're still testing the product, um, but from the looks of it, we're about a week or two away from from launching the world's first TikTok growth service on that platform, alongside the founders of of um, one of the biggest mobile app game companies in the world, which is, which has turned over over a hundred million dollars. So we're excited with with the team we've got. That um, we've got a huge pool of macro influencers, meaning influencers with over five million followers, ready to push the product. So it's we're expecting this to blow up pretty huge. Well, fascinating for a young man to be doing so well, and um, you're level-headed. Uh, you don't seem to be blowing your money, which is good, and hopefully that gives you a longevity in business and uh, and the internet as it drives forward as as your generation become, um, I guess, the dominant generation of of business around the country, let alone around the world. Man, it's fascinating stuff. Congratulations on your success thus far, and good luck for the future. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. You're listening to the EFTM podcast. EFTM. All right, what did you think? Is he just an unbelievable young entrepreneur? Does he speak a different language because I'm such an old man? Or is he the most elusive? I don't know. He also giggled when we ended the interview. And that makes me wonder. I wonder whether these two have created an online profile for themselves that isn't at all what they're doing. But I don't know. And I don't care because it won't have an impact on my life. But I'd love to know what you think. I thought I was very diplomatic. I thought I was very courteous. Um, 
and uh, look forward to following his progress. He may become the next Ruslan Kogan or Mike Cannon Brooks of Australia. Good bloody luck to him. Uh, in the meantime, um, well, you know, we'll just keep doing what we do, okay? We'll just keep plugging away here, trying to work out how the hell to make money out of the internet. Sound crazy what I'm about to say But travel along's the world's best techie He's the kind of guy we picked on at school And it wasn't fair but he don't care he's cool Sort of end on that one for, for something different this week. That's all. But just, you know, nothing else. I still love the song. I still hear it in my head every time um, Pharrell Williams Happy, is it Pharrell? That's all. Yeah. Comes on the radio. And I still remember the wonderful GK um, who, she worked at Vodafone, then she worked at Huawei as a PR person, and we got on really great. And I remember her ringing me. She's Dutch. And thick accent, and she just couldn't stop giggling about how she'd heard this song that kept saying my name. And I went, "What are you talking about?" And then I, every time I hear it now, all I hear is my name. It's very funny. Um, I should, you know, what I'll do. Um, I'll try and remember next week. I will try and play you. Um, I wonder if I can find it now. Oof. Isn't this going to be a challenge? I'll try and play you the intro that Triple M made um, for me. Um, which, you know, is a little bit even more unique, quite frankly, um, um, because it's uh, it's a it's an off take of a very famous song, um, which you may or may not know or like. I don't know, but uh, I'll try and find that song and play it for you another another time. If you're a Triple M listener, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, if you're not, then that's okay. That's fine. No, no drama. It's all good. Um, no, I think this might be it, but but just bear with me if it's not. Oh, I wasn't even a fan of Everlong. I, I, it just wasn't a song that I knew, but it's the Foo Fighters, right? And... Um, Gus Wallen was a massive fan of the Foo Fighters when he was on the grill team. So that's, that intro has spread across the Triple M network. It gets used now in Gosford and a couple other places when, I, when I'm on, <coughs> excuse me, on the radio. It's very funny. Anyway, um, I, I'm, I'm, I love it. It's good fun. Anyway, uh, if you're a radio listener, do, um, do say good day on, on the emails. And uh, otherwise, it's lovely to have your company. I'll be back next week for another episode of the EFTM podcast. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and listen to the bloody government because they're trying to help. Thank you.